Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host. On our show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to say discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, and we are black. Now, if you're tuning in, welcome. Thank you for joining this podcast once again. I always appreciate new listeners. If it's your first time listening, thank you for giving us a whirl. If you're back for some more, well, I, I really do appreciate your continued uh, patronage and meeting your expectations. Uh, so before we start up, I always like to remind everybody, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to our podcast, um, either on Apple, Spotify, or visit my website, kamarawilliams.com. That's where I have an active blog, and it's good for people to either get a filler for that week's episode or just talking about things that um, they, it interests them. I really regularly engage with people in the comments. Um, so if you do so, that's fine. It's also great for people to recommend show topics. So I get that from time to time. I get the comments come to my email and I respond back if they're pretty interesting. So please do that. If you're listening on Apple, please be sure to rate the episode. Um, five star rating if you're so inclined. And that's part of the way the Apple um, rates its algorithms is by um, engagement. And so that's, you know, when somebody's looking at a podcast or it cycles through and they see a lot of ratings, it encourages them to listen. Um, but the most important thing and the final ask I really I'm really asking everybody is to share it with your friends, either on social media and really through text messages. To me, that's one of the best forms of advertising, a personal engagement. Um, if you would like something on the program or a particular section, say, hey, you know, I love this podcast. I particularly like this section um, or we talked about so and so and it was mentioned in the podcast. Check it out. Uh, send them the link and boom. And that's how you do it. And people really do um, respond to personal invitations. And that's how I. Uh, continue to grow the show so you know sharing is caring and if you share i can grow and we can continue rocking every week all right sponsors for this week's episode is compact tax advisors uh, we are still in the throes of tax season so if you're business looking for a great tax attorney compact tax advisors is your path or you're just filing personal tax returns um, they handle that as well contact them at 850-273-7193 or on mycompetstax.com. Um, let it know that you referred by Kamara Williams and Uncle Tobias Podcast for a special discount. If you're looking, if you're located in Central Florida or you're trying to sell a home or whatnot, um, just for looking for anything regarding real estate, commercial or residential, uh, check out Keystone Global Real Estate. They specialize in finding the right home for you or the right real estate deal. Um, best customer service is the one that you can imagine because it's the one that you've that meets your expectations of your wildest dreams, right? So please contact uh, Keystone Global Real Estate. Um, and I'm giving a personal touch because it's my mother's real estate company. So, uh, you know, shout out to that. But you can reach them at 407-680-8510 or KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com. And finally, uh, once you have that beautiful property and you're into estate planning, uh, consider an estate plan uh, with uh, Smith and Williams Trial Group. Uh, we're not only specialized in estate planning, such as wills, living wills, and power attorneys and trust. We also specialize in probate process, which is a legal process when someone passed away in Florida. You can reach us at 888-SWTG-LAW or 888-798-4529 or reach me directly at cwilliams.swtglaw.com. If you reference this podcast, we will give you a 15% discount um, for Smith and Williams Trial Group and just tell them the boss sent you. All right. Perfect. All right, we've gotten through all that. This week's episode, I wanted to talk about a subject that has been um, ruminating through the news for the last several weeks, actually. And it's in regards to 
um, the Asian community and just um, everything involved, the social issues and uh, uh, you hear the slogan, stop Asian hate and all that. And, and so, our, you know, Asian lives matter and all this other stuff. So uh, in order to talk with that subject, I felt like I needed somebody, a friend of mine who um, is a regular listener on the show. And I speak with her often. It's a good friend of mine. So I thought, okay, well, why don't we just go ahead and have us put this on wax? And it's my friend, Anchanto. Say hello. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) She's a little bit nervous, but it's all right. You know, we actually do appreciate her coming on. And it's her first time on the show. So what do we do when it's somebody's first time? (laughs) Give them a round of applause. All right. So, on. why don't you go ahead and... Tell the world who you are. Actually, I mean, first of all, congratulations on your being top 40 under 40. Oh, thanks. Thanks. That's really, yeah, it's really, um, I'm still in shock because, uh, number one, they put my age on blast. Um, uh. And, and Kamara, thanks for putting it on blast. And I'm a little nervous. But oh, no, <laughs> you're everyone. good. You're good. <laughs> but, um, hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm really excited about this. I, I think this is a great um, opportunity to just highlight what's going on out there and, uh, right now, I, you know, I'm involved in a community and I'm seeing what's happening here locally. And it's so important to have that discussion. So what, when you say you're involved with the community, for those who don't know, what is your what are your titles and everything like that? Sure. So I'm currently the president of the Greater Orlando Asian American Bar Association here in Central Florida. I'm also really involved with the community, with the Asian community. Um, I was just recently appointed to the MLK initiative for Orange County by Mayor Demings. Um, I'm also involved with uh, working with Shally Wong, with a lot of other key leaders, NAP, which is a National Association of Asian American Professionals. And, you know, working together, just try to rally together and be allies in this cause, um, bringing more awareness about what's going on with the Asian community. Mm -hmm. And you're actually getting ready to do a, what is it? Yes, a, 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 a panel, a panel discussion. discussion. Yeah, yeah. So we rallied with all of the um, other presidents of the Asian American Bar Associations of Florida, right? So we got Jacksonville, we got Orlando, Miami, and we also have uh, Tampa. We all decided, hey, we got to stop being silent here. We got to talk. Mm-hmm. We got to say something to help the community. And I think what we felt was that the community was waiting for someone to step up and to do something. Um, so the timing, unfortunately, was right uh, with everything going on recently in the news. But this planning uh, transpired months prior the discussions about how would we have this, who would we ask to be on a panel. So this is slated for April 28th. Uh, it's uh, virtual, Zoom. We have folks from the FBI. We have folks from the U.S. Attorney's Office. We have folks from uh, co-founder of Stop API Hate and another representative from uh, New York, so we got the national folks from New York, California, boots on the grounds there. We also have our local folks in Jacksonville and Tampa to kind of represent Florida as well to show what's going on here locally. You got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's just part of it. That's just part of You know, on top of the fact that you are a mother of three, yes. a wife, and yes. you are in-house counsel for a local nonprofit. Yes, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) You know, just uh, that was just a tip of the iceberg. And, um, you know, you know, some my one mentor asked me, you know, what am I going to do with my time? 
you know, she gave, she threw out a number and I can't remember what it is now, but there are so many seconds in a day. How are you going to invest that time? And for me, it's, you know, family, giving back to the community, doing a great job at work and also being surrounded by wonderful people. And that's why, Kamara, you're one of my close friends, because I know that I can just throw a question at you. And if it's a question that you're like, you know what, let's a conversation that we need to have over the phone. We have it. And we just hash it out and we say, well, this is my perspective. And there's no, it's it's all genuine conversations um, about what's going on in the world, about parenthood, about work, about everything else. And that's what you have to have around these days. So, you know, don't say that because people are going to be like, oh, I can just call Kamara. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And his phone number is. <laughs> no, yeah. Right. <laughs> Let me just put that on blast. Right. So people would be like, oh, you have a question, Kamara does so I feel like our friendship really fermented uh, five years ago. Was it? It was the Leadership, leadership, leadership Academy. Academy. Yeah. Do you remember that night? Uh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> the night when, I, when you're like, Kamara's my guy. When I, you, you, oh, don't, you don't remember the night. Was that the Tallahassee one? No, that was No, because that was Josiah. <laughs> yeah, that was in Tallahassee. It was um, um, South Florida, Boca, maybe. No, was it Boca? No. You know, the Leadership Academy had so many, it was all over the state. And we had so many fun nights. We got to know each other from um, just A to Z, right? Different cultures, different backgrounds, different practices, just different people. And I knew right away when I saw your name on that list um, that they sent out to us, I was like, I got to know Kamara. Not only is he a Orlando person, but also because I wanted to know more. And then there was a handful of other folks, too, that really stuck out. And I was like, you know what? I just want to know more about those individuals because they, they stand out. So I remember um, we went out to lunch. You remember to ITAR? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember lunch. You see, you're getting off the topic of what the <laughs> night. And you're, I see I you're, you're, you're pivoting remember, the night. I don't remember the night. <laughs> okay. It was the night where I, because Anthony was back at the. Oh, stop <laughs> You're blushing. Oh. <laughs> You're blushing. So you got my authentic laugh just now. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I wanted. I wanted to relax oh, you. Oh Lord! So you know you had uh, had a few, few so, to drink. Okay. So we went to. <laughs> all right. So our good friend, not so good because he left us there. But our good friend <laughs> took us out to. Blue martini, yeah. right? But there's this big, long line, and I'm going, gosh, you know, I how are we going to get there? We're, you know, get to the front. Sure enough, our good friend bought, I don't know what he did, yeah, he bought yeah, the, the yeah, bottle, yeah, something we, like we, that. We got a so table. So we got VIP. We got a table, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on had a great night. Yes, and then the next thing you know, everyone left us. Yeah. Everyone peaced out and didn't even say bye. So it was just Kamara and myself, and we're going, well, how are we going to get back to the hotel? Yeah. And you called an Uber. <laughs> we're yeah. like, okay. I'm like, Kamara, you got to make sure I get home safe. <laughs> so I'm bracing onto your arm. I'm going, all right, which, which, I, which Uber is it? And I, need, I have my eyes shut. And I'm going, I don't, you know, I have to have faith in you. This is good. So I'm texting my husband, Kamara got it. So <laughs> I'm like, he is okay. I am okay. So we're just, it's like cryptic messages to my husband. <laughs> and, and finally, what, what do we, we get to the hotel. Yeah. It, it, but I'm it, hyperventilating in the yeah, car because yes, I'm going, this is the scene where 
I die. <laughs> right, because she had way too much to drink. And so Anthony meets us and he carries you out. And he's like, just thank you. He's like, <laughs> he just looked at it. He was like, this is Kamara. <laughs> and Kamara was like, oh, I'm, this is not no, This is not how we roll. Nope, this is, I don't. He's like, she's fine. And he's like, I got her. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, were you good, Kamara? And he, and he was, you're like, yeah, I'm good. And that was, but you know, my husband knew that, you know, we were in good hands. I yeah. mean, that was the amazing thing is that that's the relationship that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that there are moments where we have some serious conversations. We have the parenthood talk. But then there are moments where we're like <laughs> back in college. <laughs> we just realized that we there's a night with no kids. Yeah. And um, you're just able to unwind and mm-hmm. be and feel like you can. Yeah. And that was that. I didn't know you were going to go there. I swear. I, yeah, I, I wanted to throw you off a little bit. <laughs> you did. You did. But our, when our, okay, so, okay. Now, so one of our best conversations, so when we first met up and you were getting into when we were at ITAR, we had a rest. Oh, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, it was just a conversation and I ordered pork. Yeah. And I remember you were saying, you don't eat, was it pork? I don't eat pork, yeah. So I remember eating my pork mm-hmm. <laughs> and sitting going, Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I'm eating this pork in front of, and I was like, "The what? This is um, this is interesting, you know." So I didn't, but I didn't realize. But you know, it you didn't make me feel uncomfortable. I was Mm -hmm. just more in going. Okay, so I want to know more about Kamara. Mm -hmm. Your office is really close, and you're walking here. And um, gosh, I didn't realize that your friends can be closer than what you really think they are and your your allies are just so close you just have to be willing to accept it and um willing to get to know people i think you were shocked that um because we talked about me growing up in california yeah and me having just relationships with asian community yes you're yeah that was just for me that you know how the saying is you don't read a book by its cover right Yeah, yeah right so you I try to have that mentality because I grew up in a community where you just don't know where these individuals came from or their history or their story. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to judge them. So I wanted to know more about you and your culture and um, and just where you came from and hearing about your experience with the Asian American community, how strong and connected you were to it. You understood some of the things I was talking about. I'm like, I'm like, wow, you're just, you're like a brother from a different mother. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. You know, the soups that I'm referring to, the cultural differences <laughs> or, you know, how we respect our elders and there's certain things that we do. And it, it was like, I didn't have to explain it. You just knew. Yeah. Um, and that was really great. And then that's what I think we need to teach our kids, right? Yeah. Like these different cultural things um, and, and be open to it and embrace it. Well, a lot of people don't, and what she's referencing, I, in high school, I was, I think I was the only black member of the Asian club. (laughs) 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 But it's cool, though. You know, it was dope. And um, because in my high school, um, there were a lot of um, Asian, young Asian Americans um, from different parts, from, from, they were Thai, Chinese, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of Pacific Islanders, you know, so there's some. The Filipinos um, mixed in there, and you know it was just a very hodgepodge of Asian culture. Right. And uh, tell the, the the listening public what your Asian. Yeah. So um, I'm Cambodian. So 
a lot of people don't know much about Cambodia. Um, so when they first see me, they think that I'm either Filipino or I'm mixed or um, they think I'm Asian, but it's just not, um, it's not the first. Well, clearly you're Asian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, come on. <laughs> but sometimes they just don't know. And that's why I, I find it interesting whenever I go anywhere and um, uh, I get that question, like, where are you from? And I remember that happening in Georgia once. And um, I was like, it was that scene, that, that comedy that you've seen before where you're like, I'm from Florida. And they're like, no, yeah. no, no, I'm serious. No, no, like, where are you, where are you from? Really, really from? Right. And I, I, I remember it just playing out in real time. And I'm going, this is a movie. Yeah. So I kept, I was going, I'm from Central Florida. Mm-hmm. And I was just you know. going with it because I was like, this, is, this isn't happening. This is right. really not happening. But then I finally understood what she was asking me. And I said, my parents are from Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that was the response that she was looking for because afterwards she stopped asking questions. So, so let's talk about that, right? So it's like the, other, the othering of Asian Americans because you have, you have people who are integrated within our country, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're a part of the fabric of our country. Um, and some of it's a very painful memory. You know, we could talk about how a lot of Chinese immigrants came over Right. Um, and they were, their blood, sweat, and tears within the, the railroad system. Right. And um, especially in the in the Western boom of, in California, um, you know, they helped build up mining towns. Yep. You know, and so um, that's often, you know, forgotten, but it's still, they played an integral part in the up infrastructure of this country. It played either very low wages or the living conditions were just so terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And the, um, the treatment of them were just, uh, w- was uh, reprehensible. Um, you know, we obviously know about, you know, the inter- Japanese internment camps yep. around World yes. War II. And um, it's, it's a fascinating thing because I think this is where, and I didn't know I was going to go with this, go with it. But I think this is where the interlock of the Asian community and black community really started hap- intertwining. Because during World War II, um, but, or prior to World War II, the Japanese internment cam- um, camps um, were started because a um, the Warren, uh, Justice Warren, who was the California Chief Supreme Court Justice at the time, mm-hmm. he actually... Um, was the one who signed off on the Japanese internment camps. So why this is important, though, because he felt so disgusted by what he did when he, you know, they asked him to do it. So when he finally, but nobody knew that, he was actually deemed a conservative judge. Mm. Um, then he got appointed on to, as a chief justice for the Supreme Court. The stain of that act had such an indelible effect on him that he swore that if he was ever given an opportunity to have for people's civil rights to be brought before that court, that he would actually, you know, be a fervent supporter of civil rights. And so with him being put onto the chief justice, now a lot of conservatives didn't know that. He kept that right. internal. That was a very internal thing. Mm-hmm. And so when he actually went on to the Supreme Court, he ended up, um, chairing or chief being the chief of the most progressive Supreme Court this country's ever seen because that was in the time of the 60s and 70s where all these uh, policies, civil rights policies, um, targeting civil rights 
were right. passed through the court and became the Warren court became the most cons- most progressive uh, court um, since mm-hmm. you know period uh, on the Supreme Court. Obviously, benefiting large swath of African Americans at the time. But one would have to wonder: Would he have reached that conclusion had he not had committed, signed off on a deal on the Japanese internment camps? And I, I, I like to think about that story a lot um, when dealing with um, think about the issue of Asia, Asian Americans, and how we talk about Black Americans and whether it's anti-Asian or anti-Black or whatnot. And uh, it's, um, it's a fascinating story. So going back to your thing of othering. Of how what that lady did for you, right? I'm assuming it was a woman, right? Right, right. Yeah, it was a woman. In um, Georgia, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how Asian Americans can be a part of this country, but deemed apart. Because foreigners. Foreigners, because they're so, because of the physical characteristic of them. And it's like, well, black Americans are considered, it's weird, we're in the same boat though, right? Because we're considered part of the country, but we're not part of the Sometimes we have to be remind them we're part of the social right. equal, um, e- mm-hmm. equality portion also, of it. But always an outsider, right? Always an outsider, right? And how America can integrate a people but not integrate the the essence or the culture of that people without being having to be loud with it or having to right. put it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I know it's a lot. I just did. Yeah, um, just to dissect that a little bit, you know, when I first watched a the Karamatsu trial reenactment. Mm-hmm. I saw that last year, and I've heard of the trial reenactment, or I heard of the trial. Explain to people what the Karamatsu trial um, is. It's about a gentleman, um, Karamatsu, who, uh, to avoid being put in internment camps, actually went, underwent um, some plastic surgery. And back then, you know, the plastic surgery was very different. Mm-hmm. But um, to avoid being in, put in an internment camp, and he was in love with his sweetheart, who happens to be of... a uh, Caucasian descent, mm-hmm. and that was frowned upon, and um, they actually arrested him. So, with that arrest, he was never ever able to find a a job, a fulfilling job for his family. He struggled, and then until later in life, because he never even told his family about that. Well, he never told his kids about it until later in life. Um, some attorneys went up to him and said, "Let's repeal. Let's." Let's do something about this while you're still here. You can speak your story. I think he was hesitant in the beginning. And then finally, he said, you know what? If it's not for me, it's for the, the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. He finally shared it with <clears throat> his kids. And uh, he got the full support from his family. And he moved forward with it. But it took a long time for him to get um, just a, the justification. Just the, everything just turned around for him. But still, there's so many years that he suffered, so many years, not just him, but other folks as well. And when you're talking about internment camps, we're talking about um, like a horse stalls is where families of five members to 10 members would stay in one horse stall, mm. tiny confinements. And it's because they looked a certain way. And that was so painful to watch. But at the same time, I needed to see that because I wasn't even fully aware of the Karamatsu reenactment or the trials. So that is the piece that you spoke of um, about the internment camps. But to talk about now, gosh, um, always being a foreigner, that's that's always that's always going to be there. And I, I was just telling you earlier that we went on vacation recently to South Carolina with the kids. And, you know, we're all wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember turning to my kids and I said, smile with your eyes. Always smile with eyes. And the kids asked why. And I, I explained to them, and, I, and as I was explaining it to them, I, I caught myself in that moment of, wow, am I really doing this? But it, it's that moment of protecting your kids, saying that we need to always be on the defensive in a way. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, don't get me wrong, South Carolina has wonderful um, people, wonderful areas. It's just you don't know the territory that you're going into. And sometimes you want to protect your kids and, 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 and put that barrier out there that we're not here to invade. We're here to enjoy a good time with the family. And unfortunately, that foreigner aspect comes in, right? Because mm-hmm. you're trying to explain with your eyes as you smile through your mask mm-hmm. that you're not here to invade or harm or do or um, cause any ruckus. You're here to enjoy the falls. You're here to enjoy the the beauty of South Carolina. For the most part, everyone was very um, nice. But there were certain, certain people where you felt um, certain glares or certain looks so we just ignored it and just kept going with our, our business. Mm-hmm. So it's really peculiar because when Asian Americans were, before, back in early, early is it 19th century, I guess to say, yeah, 19th century, early 19th century, when the big influx of Asian Americans started coming into the country, uh, we, you know, we talked about um, helping build up the infrastructure of the country mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, one of the advocates, advocacies of allowing, opening, quote unquote, the borders towards Asian Americans because their caricature, uh, especially for Chinese Americans, they were saying, oh, they're, you know, they're very diminutive. They're not going to challenge the system um, and they work hard. And even their physical stature of them are is that is not a one of challenge, right? And so that was kind of the, it's weird, and this is actually very true. This is how they graded why they should allow back then Chinese Americans to come into the country because they didn't feel like they were a threat. Right. The whole model minority. The model minority. So, you know, and, and what's interesting, there is a little bit of truth to that because we are taught to keep our head down. Mm-hmm. Every, I remember every family dinner, it was keep your head down, go to school, do well, and keep your mouth shut. Mm. Don't complain. And be grateful for what you have. And you know what? I, I, I get it and I understand where my parents came from. But I understand that the generation that they or what they experienced too. And mind you, my, my parents, um, their family went through the Khmer Rouge. So for them, they were taught that too to survive. You have to be um, quiet and just go with it. And it's that generational trauma, right? And they instill that to the next generation and but now i feel like every generation we're pushing back yeah and we're going you know what no we're not going to stay silent mm-hmm. we're going to speak up because enough is enough and you're seeing now we're at a crossroads um where we're speaking up because we are tired of being seen as the model minority mm-hmm. we're tired of being put in a box or objectified in shows and movies or whatever the case. We want to the community to know that we have a voice and we're not afraid to use it. So the idea behind the model minority, um, 
again, I, this is the intertwine of black Americans and Asian Americans, right? Because it was a paragon of how they saw black Americans or bl- they weren't even really, although yeah, at the time we became, we were Americans by the time Asian Americans started coming to this country or Chinese immigrants at the time. Um, it was based off of the uh, slavery caricatures, right? Mm-hmm. And how they looked at black American, black former slaves as, you know, lazy and, ch- and um, challenging and, you know, and things of that nature. And so when they were, they would almost like this thing of comparing and contrasting, right? Because right. Where, they, where would they get, you know, uh, uh, the model minority? Right. Why, why, why is, so if somebody's a model minority, then the the quiet part out loud is who's not the model minority, right? right? You right. know what I'm saying? Who's the, who's the opposite? Who's the opposite of that, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, and in a way, to your point, I think there was a issue where a lot of Asian Americans said, okay, we can kind of slide into that. Right. And they won't be, nobody will focus in on us. Right. You know? You know, and, and we can kind of build and grow because there's not a challenge. And until that challenge started happening um, in 1940, 1942, mm-hmm. you know, with Pearl Harbor. And then all of a sudden, Asian hate started rising, in particular, Japanese Americans, you know. Well, I, w- I want to take a step back because I, I want to believe that there were people who spoke out way before then. Okay. But Here's the thing, though. When you spoke out, what happens to you? What happens to your family? Mm-hmm. You put yourself on a target, as a target. And if we don't get the support from the government or we don't get support, the question is, why do you put yourself out and you can be in harm's way? So then again, it reverts back to, let's just go back into our shell mm-hmm. and let's just protect us. And... We need to break that. And I think it's being broken now. You, you can hear it. The ice is breaking um, because people are going, we need to stand up and be allies to each other because it's not just about us anymore. It's about all the community, everyone. How do we help each other out? We're all human beings living and sharing on this world, on this earth. How can we make it better? And like I was saying earlier, 2020, I thought cars would be flying. Mm-hmm. I thought we wouldn't have this discussion, but we are. And how do we fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think about with, and you talk about the, gen- the generations have been changing in that. I've always felt like, for me personally, uh, growing up in California, it was, a great op- it was a great experience for me to interact with Asian community. And I actually joined the Asian club because I was fascinated with Asian Americans and the differing cultures within that body. You know, how Chinese Americans, you know, operated and um, how in comparison to Filipino or, you know, Pacific Islanders. Right. You know, I didn't even know they call themselves Pacific Islanders until I joined, you know, and, um, you know, and, and even, to that part of Cambodian, yes. you know, how it's, it was, it was just different, different culture, different foods and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Vietnamese and yes. things of that nature. And, um, I, I found it that a lot of times people tend to hodgepodge Asians into one particular right. bold group. 
And it's, it really is it's a disservice to the entirety of the community. Right. You know, because you go to San Francisco and this thing, you know, they have a whole portion called Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Right. But in Chinatown, there's large segments of different yeah. cultures, you know, it's not. And, but they call it Chinatown. Exactly. Because you know? <laughs> it's easier that way. It's easier to call it Chinatown, <laughs> it, right? It's easier and everyone knows what that, you know, that it is. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, being Asian American, we're not, we're not a monolith. I mean, you, yeah. you, you, a lot of people group it up together, but I feel like now more and more with the food, with the culture, you're seeing. Asian um, fusion. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, I love how, especially in Orlando, it's really good about that is you have different pockets of different um, restaurants and different meals, different culture. Um, you got the Laotian restaurants, Sticky Rice. You got um, the Filipino restaurants. You got everything that you can possibly think of. And, and yes, we have areas where we need to improve on. But that's why it's so important, like you said, to grow up in a community that provides that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I don't know where you're going to go with that because now I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I I say all that to say that, you know, with the combining of Asian culture, it there tends to be a anti-Asian, you know, when anti-Asian hate is permeated throughout society, it affects all groups. Yes. Not just one particular entity. And it shouldn't affect any, we shouldn't have that, you know, um, period. Right. right? But you would feel it, you know, and even if something, let's just say something, a a Chinese person did something to another person, right? Right. As a Cambodian, you would, you, or Cambodian descent. Yes. You would still feel the ire of that, even if you'd be like, well, I'm not Cambodian. Right. You know, I feel like it's the same thing happens with those from Arab, um, Arab countries, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, "Well, then that nine eleven, it was uh, um, you know Afghan. They put Saudi right terrorists and, in line with people who were from all other right." Um, yeah. And and it goes back to education, right? right? Being exposed to different cultures and different ethnicities and understanding that there's certain differences. But that being said. Just because one apple, one bad apple did something doesn't mean that every one in that group is bad. Right. So th- that's where we need to educate ourselves and be open-minded. Right. You, so. know. you know, one of the things I, th- I, I, um, I wanted to talk to you about is the recent attacks that happened in Atlanta. Right. What were your thoughts on that? And actually, let me cue it up because I actually have a sound drop for that here. To some some tragic news, the deadly shootings in Atlanta, killing at least eight people. A suspect is in custody this morning and police across the country are on alert this morning as well. Fearing the attacks may have targeted the Asian community. Steve Osasami is in Atlanta with more at the FBI. When you saw that those attacks that happened last month, what were the first things that went through your mind? So we we were actually it was spring break. I'm up in North Carolina with my kids, and we drove through Georgia to get to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And there were numerous times where we had to take a pit stop because we have a little one, 
Um, so we go to the gas station and there are moments when you're looking around a gas station, and you notice that you're either the only Asian American and it, it, it's a, a raw moment because you're, you know it, mm-hmm. you, you see it, but it doesn't phase you because we're so blessed to be in Orlando where it doesn't really bother you too much, but I'm always in the back of my mind. I'm always thinking, right? What do I do in a situation if something were to happen? So imagine waking up the next morning, reading about it in a newspaper, and then hearing it all over news that first there's a shooting in Georgia. I'm going, gosh, that's that's horrible. Then hearing more facts unfolding that it was a spa or a parlor or something along those lines, and I go, gosh, that must be tough. Then hearing it unfold even further and say there were eight deaths, six of them happened to be Asian American women or Asian women, I'm going, what's happening here? And, you know, you you want to know more, but at the same time, you're just disgusted by this incident, and you're going, how, why, and what's happening? And I, I just remember looking at my girls and going, gosh, just, they're going to find out from their classmates probably. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I share this news with the kids? Then I started reading about the age of the women, and I'm going, they could be my aunties. They could be my, uh, my, my family. How you know you're, you're going into work? Next thing you know, you're gunned down. I, that that was it. Just it was really raw for me because it felt so personal. Maybe because I made it personal, but more so because I, I just imagined uh, my aunties going to work and something, and they weren't going home. Um, and the fear in their eyes and then a, a person gunning them down for whatever reason. And the fact that he went to Asian-American establishments, um, the, one would think that if you go to an Asian-American establishment, you know that a majority of them would be Asian-American. Um, so there must be some intent there. Mm-hmm. Um so it, a lot of things went through. I actually needed a day to digest it all. At the same time, being the president of Gawaba, there were some things I had to do um, to address it. What is Gawaba for those of you? Oh, the Greater Orlando Asian American Bar Association, right? Mm-hmm. So were we going to stay silent or were we going to speak up? And to what extent would we speak up? And we worked together as a community and we drafted up a a response to it. Mm-hmm. And we're really proud of the response because it was more of an allyship. Identifying there was an issue and coming together to try to figure out how to resolve it. So though, to answer your question, it it still hits me really hard now because I remember having that discussion last week with my cousin who lives in Georgia and she was crying. And then she's a, you know, she's, maybe 10 years younger than me, and to hear her response, um, you know, our younger people are watching. Our young people are listening, and they're fed up. We're fed up, but our young people are extremely fed up, and it's it's gotten to the point where no one wants to be silent any longer, and we're, we're there. Um, and unfortunately, it it took this to happen to to make it make people realize we need to stop being silent, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then to see, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, to see what happened recently in New York mm-hmm. with the... Um, yeah, but we're going to get to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So th- they, it, what's unfortunate is things, um, these crimes are com- coming up or happening or being reported more often now. Mm-hmm. And it's happening in a more serious nature where now death is an end result. Um, physical harm and death to the vulnerable people, um, you know, that's, that's, I don't know what to say anymore about what's going on around the world. So one of the things I would say, um, just kind of peeling it back a little bit, uh, since 2019, right. the rise of Asian um, anti-Asian violence or Asian attacks have gone up 150%. Um, there are some who <clears throat> attributed this rise to a number of different re- reasons. Uh, the um, COVID having a big play into it, and we'll get, get into that. But uh, one of the things I found fascinating about the Atlanta, and it's fascinating, not in a good way, but in just in the way he described the the shooter, said it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a hate crime. It was that he was trying to diminish his sexual desires, and so he attacked Asian massage parlors. And um, you know, there's been some disputes, like what were those women sex sex workers, mm-hmm. and um, and or you know, were they "Quote unquote regular massage, yeah, right? Uh, massager. I don't know the correct masseuse. term. Masseuse, masseuse. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> Got to school you once in a while. Every once in a while, <laughs> uh, were they regular masseuse? And you know, the thing that I found was fascinating is that he says he was it was not racially motivated, and he says that I was just trying to tamp down on my sexual desires. And yet, you know, what it speaks to is the fetishism of Asian women. Yes. That's happened in society and how that's played into sex trafficking, especially large, large amounts of sex trafficking that happens in, um, in the, in just around the world period. Right. But it's, it's, pre- it's prevalent, especially within the Asian um, community, you know. Right. And you know what's really disappointing is um, if that were true and if there was something going on along those lines of the sexual encounters, that's another question that we need to discuss, right? Um, women being objectified, being used not just in the Asian American community, but just as a whole. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about young women, young men that are being used um, in that way. How do we resolve that issue? Right. You know, that's a totally different conversation that we can have, and I'm sure we can have for hours. But the fact that he used that as justification, um, and he's claiming that it wasn't racially motivated. Uh, again, I'm going to say it again. The fact that he went to a Asian-American establishment where there's predominantly Asian-American or Asian women, men working there, um, one would think that you would find Asian people there. Well, it was it was bullshit. Let's just call right. it what it is, right? Yep. So it was bullshit. Um, him saying that it wasn't racially motivated, you know, but yet he's 
saying the quiet part out loud about him him trying to tamp down on his sexual desires right. means that you were fetishizing, you know, a particular, right. you know, specific human. Mm-hmm. And in order to destroy that sexual desire within yourself, you had to target that human. You right? had to eliminate the human. You eliminate the human and, and from, because it makes your desires go away. So that is a, you know, that is the byproduct of when you're targeting a particular race because it's, it's, for something very specific to their characteristic, that is a hate crime. Right. So there's nothing wrong with you, but there's something wrong with the women right. who are causing you to have these temptations. Um, again, another conversation that can be had because that's a, a twisted uh, interpretation or perception of what reality really is. Have you ever, I guess this is a personal question, you can if you're comfortable answer. Have you ever experienced um, men in other race, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, fetishizing you because of your because of your Asian heritage? You know, it. I really have to think back on that. Um, I don't know what it's like to date anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I, I will tell you that I've all. I, I grew up with three brothers, right? Yeah. So they always protected me. And I remember one time when my my um, my neighbor, who happens to be African American, he he just came up and he tapped on my shoulder. Next thing you know, my dad out of nowhere, and, and mind you, he's in a wheelchair, rolls up in his wheelchair and chases the boy down mm-hmm. so that there's no encounter. My dad was just super protective of his daughters, and um, so I can't recall a time when I was younger. Well, you know what? Let me take that back. Now that because. Um, I didn't know you were going to ask me that question. Mm-hmm. I remember um, being a kid, you know, having to make a phone call at the payphone. Some of you guys might know what that is, but um, <laughs> going to the payphone. You dating yourself. I know. <laughs> and it was across the street from my house, so I, I could still see my house. But um, I just remember seeing a car drive around the neighborhood several times. And I knew I had to protect myself, but I, I wasn't sure. And I remember... He rolled down the window, and he asked me to come approach his car, and I knew straight up what to do, which was to ignore him and finish the phone conversation and run. And it was one of those moments where you're going, you don't, this is a scene from Lifetime movie. <laughs> you need to know, your radar goes off. Um, there was one time I, I was with my brother, and uh, my poor brothers, they're, they're about five, Five, but in their mind they're like six ten. <laughs> they, I can relate. <laughs> so they, we were at a gas station, and I, I think this, um, I'm, I, I go in to pay for gas, and this guy made a comment, and my brother stopped pumping the gas, looked at the guy who's twice his size, and said, "What'd you say?" <laughs> and I remember my brother wanting to throw down right then and there. Um, and my brother said, get in the car, let's go. And I, you know, it, I, I think I've just been blessed to have the opportunity where my brothers were always there. Now, when my brothers weren't there, I, I think I always found myself putting that tough exterior where um, I had a mean mug, as someone, someone once told me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I recently, no, I don't think, um, 
Well, no, yeah, not recently. no, no. Not I mean, recently. it could happen recently. I yeah, mean, it, it could, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, but no, no, nothing yeah. recently that I can would you, share. What do you? What about with your daughters? Do you talk to them about that? Like men wanting to fetishize them because of their uh, they their otherness. You know, so air quotes <laughs> the otherness. So, um, my oldest daughter is Puerto Rican and Cambodian. And my other two daughters are Cambodian, Vietnamese, French, and Irish. So they all have unique looks. Um, Now that my oldest daughter is a teenager, and I'm noticing more and more, I've had to have that unfortunate conversation with her. Um, My husband actually had a conversation with her because he had to sit her down and say, this is why daddy went off on a guy the other day, and I apologize for putting you making you feel awkward, but I had to put him in his place. Mm-hmm. And so we had to have that conversation. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the whole fetish thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just you have to be mindful that your daughters are growing up yeah. and they're becoming women. And you have to, we try to be as truthful and genuine with them as possible mm-hmm. that um, as much as there's uh, rainbows um, and butterflies, yeah. there's also other things out there, too. So you want to be prepared and be mindful of that. So, um, But you, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because I was, I was thinking about how Asian women are perceived in the American pop culture. Right. And there is this, you know... Permeation of seductress or docile or very mm-hmm. sexy and mm-hmm. the um, just things that are it's depicting from, you know, uh, right. not only an antiquated object of the uh, the geisha, right? The geisha right. Pro- profile. That's how I was trying to figure out the name. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, again, the hodgepodging of different Asian Right. right. It's putting the geishas obviously an origination from Japanese folklore. Right. Right. But it's oh, all Asian women mm-hmm. act this way, and this, the you know the the um, petite look and the very small voice and the yeah. you know not not being very not being very demonstrative. But I can tell you that having <laughs> um, dated Filipino women in the past. Um, the moms are very, very loud. Yes. There's nothing very, there's nothing, there's nothing timid about them. Right. right. And they will throw down if they need to. Right. And uh, same thing with Cambodian women. Um, yeah. And and I'll say that uh, Vietnamese women too. Um, and in all the different um, Asian American cultures are, are like that. Um, that is, if you want to see a, a, what we call a ratchet, <laughs> fun, um, loud, um, that's like any Asian gathering. We, what you see on TV, um, really isn't the reality, and 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 that's the problem, though, right? right. What, uh, what you see on TV isn't like Full House. Mm-hmm. People think that might, you know, growing up, you would think that's the norm or uh, Family Matters. Right. I remember watching that and um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. I used to watch that too, and I was like, gosh, that that would be cool to have a rich uncle like that, mm-hmm. you know. But it's not the 90% reality, right? right. Um, so what you see on TV um, now 
that's coming out, like the uh, what is Fresh Off the Boat, mm-hmm. which is actually supposedly written based from Orlando, mm-hmm. um, you're seeing a little bit more that they're not as so- soft-spoken, um, that they do curse, they do have their own um, voice, which is great. A lot more work to go, but it's the beginning of something wonderful. Right. And you see how with just a changing of, we're trying to change the narrative, right? Because we talk about that right. in the black community of changing the narrative of how they see black Americans and, and us being not so monolithic in um, their viewpoint. We know, we've known we're not monolithic, but you guys, yeah. the same thing. Like you guys know you're not monolithic. Um, one thing I do want to go ahead and, and just before we put a bow on this particular area though, is the area of sex trafficking. Like how does the, Asian community deal with it? Or is that a subject that's brought up a lot? You know, conversations, tougher conversations like that usually are not brought up in an Asian American community. Seeking out mental health services, not something that's really publicized. Are there organizations that are working towards that? They're breaking that barrier? Sure, there there are. But that conversation doesn't come out that often. So we... This is kind of funny because you're pivoting right into where I was going to go. Because you're actually, when you decided to be president of Guava, right? Right. And we talked about this and before you got jumping on a president and you talked about how you wanted to be a different type of president because a lot of times Asian community, they do not like to speak up. They're not very active right. in roles. And there's a lot of reason why that because they feel like, you know, they build up, they feel like working on economic strength is the best way to for advancement in society. Right. And so it's a lot of focus on a career, focus on family, focus on things very insular. And, right. you know, it's do not make a no must, no fuss type right. of thing. Despite the fact there might be things that are very particularly affecting that community, but they won't talk about it because it's focus on family. Yes. Um, career, mm-hmm. job titles, whatever it is. Right. Financial goals. Financial goals, right. Yeah. It's very um, structured in that. And that actually goes into the entire immigrant personality. It's right. Even though you might be two or three generations removed from, yeah. you know, coming from a particular um, Asian country, mm-hmm. it's still embedded within the psychology of the Asian American of focusing on a particular yeah. entity. And I know you said, hey, when mm-hmm. I do, when I jump on, I wanted to change that because I wanted us to be more vocal and more in, in you know, just involved. Right. And, you know, Kamar, I, 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 being president of the Great Orlando Asian American Bar Station is a huge time commitment. And I wanted to make sure that I was able to commit that time and give it 110%. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I, I actually had that conversation with my husband. And I said, listen, this is a commitment that I want to do. Is this the right time? And I remember him saying, that there's never ever going to be the right time. Mm-hmm. You got to be ready for it. And I remember having a conversation with you and I was going, you know, I, I'm going to do my installation speech. Um, do I go basic with thank you everyone for this opportunity and I'm right. going to have a great time? Or do I go raw and genuine and explain why this is so important to me and this is why we're going to change it in a different, um, you know, we're just going to pivot um, during this presidency 
the president's prior did their own thing and they've done great things. But I wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to serve as pillars to the community. Mm-hmm. Why are we going to do this? Um, when we, we got a JD, he were barred, but we're not going to give back to the community. How, for me, I, I, I wanted to give back. So I remember sharing my story and going, this is why it's so important to me. Yeah. And, um, and it's to make sure that our community sees that there's a bridge that's connecting them to these resources or these um, organizations that are willing to provide the services. And for the longest time, there's so much taboo to talk about mental health, to talk about domestic violence, yeah. which is there, yeah. but no one wants to talk about it, right? Because yeah. then you'll be a traitor to your family. Yeah. Um, and Asian Americans do not talk about that. So where do they get the, um, the services? Where do they get connected to all of that? And that was my hope for Goaba's years to help break that barrier. And that's why we're, we're having these presentations or we're having panel discussions and we're going to do a trial reenactment titled um, The Vietnamese Fishermen versus the KKK. Mm-hmm. It's really out there, yeah. but it's a recent case in the 1980s right here in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And that's why we thought it was so important to have that conversation because we're still, unfortunately, this is timely mm-hmm. discussion that we need to have. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, putting a response on the activeness within Asian American community, I want to go ahead and talk about the anti-Asian hate that's kind of cropped up. We talked about this a couple minutes ago. Uh, a lot of it was stemmed in direction from the COVID-19 or coronavirus. Right. And some of it, they believe it comes directly from this source. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? There are reports of dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Your own aide, Secretary Azar, says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? A lot of it comes say from it's China. Racist. It's not racist at all. No, not at all. It comes from China. That's why. It comes from China. I and want to be accurate. Yeah, please, John. I have a great. I have great love uh, for all of the people from our country. But uh, as you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe they stopped now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen, not as long as I'm president. Uh, it comes from... So... Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> you know, your thoughts when you heard that quote or when you were hearing this going through the rise... Of, we were all kind of scared with COVID-19. Yeah. And then to place a particular race, although it, it was a debate on where it came from, but... What he did is he racialized a virus that affects everyone and, you know, then come back on the side of his mouth. Oh, it's not racist to say that, you know, and I've mm-hmm. heard people say, oh, because, you know, they mentioned the Spanish flu and things of that nature. And it's not in the, it's lack context when you say things like that. Right. Right. So what he did was put a face to the to the virus. Mm-hmm. He put a face to the enemy. Um, and, and when you 
say that this is something that's threatening your family, this is threatening your livelihood, this is threatening your community, and you put a face to it, it becomes real. And when you're a person in a leadership role, and my my role is so small compared to being a president of the United States, when you're in that position where people take your word, some people take your word as if it's the Bible, or take your word and they run with it, that is very concerning when you use those certain words in a certain context, right? You're in a position of power. You're in a position of authority. You should not be doing that. You should clarify what you mean by it, then stop what you're doing. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And you could see the numbers slowly trickle up and now it's spiking, and it's because there's a face now. So now that when people lose their jobs, or now that people are, their family members are in harm's way, or they're dying from this horrible virus, they see this image, they see this face. And that face unfortunately happens to look like mine. Mm -hmm. It looks like my daughter's. It looks like my husband's. It looks like my, my family members' faces. So that's what happens. There's a target now. So I want to, you know, and thank you for that. You know, I want to um, read off a couple of headlines mm-hmm. um, that I pulled. Um, when t- people talk about, you know, again, the rise of Asian hate. You know, it was in New York Times. There's a little oh, question asked. It's um, in early March. Why the, why the, has there been a spike in Asian hate? And then uh, a quick poll shows all these different articles. The Financial Times and their serve China challenges the West. China is taking over its ideological fight abroad. With, um, with the, it had a big dragon um, cr- uh, getting ready to encroach the world. Um, why Europe would choose the U.S. over China. Um, China, not America, would decide the fate of the planet. Again, a big dragon right. in, coming to the world and with the White House on one hand. And um, it's another article from, that was from the Financial Times. This is from The Economist. Facing up to China, you know, um, how bad will it get? And it showed China with a with COVID-19, um, but it, with the Chinese mask mm-hmm. uh, covering the planet, you know. Um, China, how China is designing Europe and, and Africa, uh, buying up the world. The coming wave of the Chinese takeover. This again. This 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 is one publication. I just I just read, read you the Financial Times. That's the Economist. Right. Now I'm going to read you from Axos. Right. China's extra um, extraterritorial threat. China exploits the U.S. investment to conquer the media. You know, um, China's political power grows with its capital markets. China wants to reshape global global order. That was another publication. Axos publication. All right. Um, another one, China's long arm reaches into American campuses. Can American values survive the Chinese world? And then finally, the Washington Post, China's dangerous Taiwan temptation. How China gets American companies to parrot its propaganda and with a big with a big um, a glove, a boxing glove. Right. Uh, pounding into mm-hmm. the White House. Right. So I read you just a number of different ch- uh, <laughs> articles yeah. that, from different you know, uh, um, publications. Right. And, you know, 
on top of the other things that you see happening in the world, I think these things permeate through our subconscious of creating this anti-Asian hate. Right. You know what happens because you're reading these things and it's like you're you've, just me reading the headlines. You were like, oh, China's a bad guy. Right. Right. And then, of, go, of, of course, now we talk about hodgepodging of different races, uh, different uh, national, uh, excuse me, backgrounds into one Asian fusion. Right. You know, delegate. And, you know, it's like the anti-Asian hate. Uh, you know, you're all you're all the same. Right. You know, um, and I, I you couple that again with what the former president did. And if there's no, you know, secret to why there's a rise in anti-Asian hate, because it becomes this face of, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're trying to take over, or they're, you know, they brought something over here that they that should they should have kept over there, and right, you know, it's um and it's the idea too of white of white America, you know, they have there's a viewpoint of America, and it's very white, mm-hmm. right? And if anything infects that whiteness, it then becomes, oh, they're trying to do something to affect us, right. which we can get into that in a moment, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but that's just what I see from, and I mean, you can tell me if you disagree or agree from what I'm just saying. You know, seeing that spike and that correlation between how the virus has been coined that it's a Chinese or a Kung flu, um, those, that's, I see as fighting words. Words to ignite anger. Mm-hmm. Words that unify a certain group of people who are angry and want to release that anger on something, someone, and now they have that permission right. to do so. Because now it's been normalized. And if if this group's saying it or if this person's saying it, then you know what? It must be true. Mm-hmm. And the great thing, the bad thing, good and bad about social media or good and bad about technology is that things run fast. Mm-hmm. And that message went so fast. And spread so fast. Now we have a face to this so-called enemy and this virus. And now um, it's coined as the Chinese virus. So like you said, everyone who happens to look like an, a foreigner um, will be categorized that way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, likely, a likely threat. Mm-hmm. So... I want to lean into this, and on didn't know I was going to get into this. I call her on, by the way, because <laughs> um, I'm always on it. On it, yeah. Because I get things done. Hashtag okay. <laughs> uh, uh, hashtag on it. Um, I did call. I called you O, and you were like, "No, people call me on." When we first met, yeah, I was like, "You're trying to give me a nickname?" Yeah, no. no. I was like, "No, it's that's on. not no." Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if if I if I like you, I give you give nicknames. you nicknames. Okay. But no, but it's all right. No, no, I like my on. Yeah, like on. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking about integrating how white supremacy affects everything. <laughs> it affects everything, as, you know, uh, but it affects the outlook of Asian Americans, right? 
Mm-hmm. And first of all, I thought about this thing. Like when you think about Asia, Asia, most people only think about several countries. Yes. You know, and I was reading, it's like, how come nobody thinks about Russia? Yeah. How come nobody ever thinks about, like, you know, um, the uh, the Arab countries? Right. Yeah, you know, that's, they're, they're Asian. In, right. Right. You know, nobody thinks about India. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, nobody thinks about, you know, the, um, you know, uh, Malaysia. Well, right. did they think about Malaysia? I don't uh, know. I mean, oh, uh, crazy rich Asians made it famous. That's but, true. Um, yeah. Okay. But okay, but I'm okay. But you see where I'm going with this, right? right? So right. Um, there's another Pakistan. Nobody thinks about Pac- Pakistan. True. Pakistan. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to Asia, right? So nobody right. Thinks, thinks about Indian quote unquote countries, right. but they're they are actually Asian. Yeah. And once when they come over here to this country, they're classified as Asian Americans. Yes. But yet. That's not, you know, even Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, you know, that's, yes, you know, yeah. I know it's made famous by Borat, but again, it's not, you know, for whatever reason, the America consciousness of Asian Americans only uh, has one particular characteristic, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. a characteristic thing, you know, with certain uh, features. And I find that fascinating in how that's really born out of white supremacy, because mm-hmm. the idea that one particular race represents an entire continent. <laughs> yeah. You know, one particular characteristic represents an entire mm-hmm. continent of people. Right. You know, and it's not because obviously I just named off several countries that don't look like each other. Nope. You know, but yet, and they're still Asian. Yeah. But nobody considers them Asian. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I just thought that was really I think that's really fascinating, but I also think that also plays into um, going into this next section of how white supremacy has infected the idea and always going back to how we originated in, of the uh, model minority. Right. You know, and comparing it to just black Americans, um, it's almost, it creates a divide within races. Right. You know, because you're giving a paradox of two different individuals. And then it's no wonder then those individuals then look at each other, mm-hmm. turn on each other and be like. And compare. compare. And, and compare, right? And they say, and, and, and they have very, you know, pejorative views towards one another. Right. And it's like, well, no, the views are originated not from you, but from a societal you know, um, implant of of uh, of either otherness or white supremacy, right? You know, and I just think that's a um, I, we don't talk about that often. No, we don't, and you know, I we don't talk about that to our children because I don't know if that's we underestimate the ability for our children to comprehend, mm-hmm. but they're smart enough to understand when wrong is wrong, right? So I feel like we need to educate our children and let them know that this is what happened. This is history. Mm-hmm. And this is why things are happening. Mm-hmm. And that's with education. Mm-hmm. And right now, we desperately need to educate the family, the children, everyone about that. Because right now, there's, it's only what you see is that this person 
is attacking this person mm-hmm. or this group is happening, but there's no why. Right. No one's talking about that. Mm-hmm. Why? So, you know, even to this day, I think I've only heard it a handful of times, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, and more recently, I've heard it a lot from college students. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a chance to sit down with the UCF students, and they were talking about it and how they're fed up with this. and Fed up with, with this white being supremacy. Wise, wise right? Yeah, yeah. And I was going, wow, I haven't heard that discussion in such a long time because it's been years since I've been out of college. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't, it's not a common, it's not something that we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And they brought it up because they're, they're breathing it, eating it. They're, they are boots on the ground just protesting about it at UCF and hearing them being so vocal about it and understanding and learning a little bit more of where they're coming from. I'm going, this is real. This is really real. This is happening. Yeah. But even as a professional, I, I haven't heard it. Have you heard the discussion um, between your colleagues or am, am I missing out? Uh, yeah, I've heard the discussion because I'm in some weird text text message groups. <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> I'm with some very angry people. <laughs> and, they, uh, <laughs> and I hang out with people who like to eat. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah. But I mean, but that, that is fast. that's great, though, that younger generation which i've seen that actually just having interacting with those um just from a younger generation how they're more fervent on you know speaking out and especially taking on the fold of what you said a lot of asian americans in beginning did not want to do that or it it was a byproduct of a culture not to get you know not to bring uh, attention but a lot of them are saying no this is wrong and we got to stop that and you know this idea that of um, Asian lives or top anti-Asian hate. And I shared something with you the other day about how, you know, when uh, BLM, Black Lives Matter, sprung up, Mm -hmm. it was this idea that, you know, all right, you know, of course Black Lives Matter because all lives matter. Right, Right. Right. And it was a way to undercut. That, mm-hmm. Right, it's very, very way to undercut it, and then you started seeing other things, um, you know, uh, blue lives matter and all this other stuff. But it was clearly, and it was like, no, we're not saying black lives matter. We're just saying that right. you know, blue lives matter. But it's, it was clearly a reaction to, you know, black Americans rising up and saying right. black lives matter and all that. It was a reactionary statement. The fascinating part is that with the Asian you know, stop Asian hate, there's not a, you know, there's not a counter statement that comes with that. Yeah. You know? Yep. And it's like, and even when you say Asian lives matter, there's no like... Backlash. Backlash. Yeah. There's no r- resistance to that. Yeah. And I think that is, it's like, again, saying the quiet part out loud, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, again, it goes into my home, the quote unquote of the model minority. Right. You know? And of, again trying to create a divide you know um well, i was watching lisa ling uh, recently and she had a, a recent uh video uh she shared on instagram and she had a speaker and i forget his name but she was introducing him and the way she introduced him was powerful because she said this is my friend when he needed me he asked me to support black lives matters and i said i was busy 
And he reached out months later and said, I need your help. Her response was, I was busy. And now that there's Stop Asian Hate, he was the first person to reach out to her and ask her, how can I help? And when she shared that and her reaction, um, again, it was so genuine, so raw. She was just tearing up. She's going, I, she didn't realize what it was like until the shoe was on the other foot, right? Mm. She didn't realize how hard it is. And I don't think she can ever fully comprehend. Mm-hmm. But for her to be, to say that out loud, I think it becomes more real for everyone else, right? Yeah, yeah. That when your friends are asking you for help, you say, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Or it's not, it doesn't fit my agenda. Mm-hmm. But people are dying. Yeah. And then... Now it's them that are the first ones to step up and say, I, I'm here to help you out. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just so powerful and humbling because it makes you realize that you're never too busy to help. But you, for some reason, compartmentalize it and say it's not my problem. Yeah. And I think what's happening, though, is... I get what you're saying that there's no backlash, but I think we've gone to the point where Black Lives Matters happened and it's still happening. Mm-hmm. Now it's targeting another group. We want to stop it, completely stop it. And I think the government sees it mm-hmm. and they're going, "This enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Are you going to now target the Hispanic group? Are you now going to target another demographic? When are we going to say enough is enough? And I think that's what's happening here too. Not to minimize what you're saying, but just to add a different perspective and different layer that everyone is fed up. Mm -hmm. And watching these trials, I don't know if you're following what's happening in trials, Mm -hmm. people are just fed up with the hate that's happening around here. Hate that is spilling out in the world. And enough is enough. So I think at this point and at this juncture, folks are stepping up and going, I'm here to help our sisters and brothers because it's no longer Black Lives Matters. It's no longer, it's us. Right. And now you're targeting senior citizens because there's, imagine your, your grandparents going to the grocery store and getting slashed. Right. Getting stomped on in their face, getting punched, being kicked. And they were just walking to church or they're just walking to the grocery store. They just happen to have that face. Yeah the Asian face. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think we've gone to the point now where we're, it's unfortunate that Black Lives Matter had to happen, but I think that started it. And when it bled into what's happening now, I think we're uniting and not seeing each other as this is your problem, this is my problem, but we're seeing each other and as a group and saying, enough yeah and we're supporting each other that way so one of the things i would say is that i think black people number one we can recognize oppression very very quickly because unfortunately it's such a byproduct of our history right that that's the thing that's embedded within our dna that we can see it and so when something's happening to another group we're very sensitive to towards it because right. we're like, oh, yeah, if that was us, 
you know, just like with 9-11, when it happened, we were very for sensitive towards what was happening to those, um, you know, who looked at certain, had a certain demographic right. that were being targeted, you know, it was anti-Islamic um, um, conversations that were happening. Right. We recognized it. Um, in the same place, too, that we also understand that, unfortunately, again, a byproduct of our history, we are the first one over the hill when it comes to um, oppression. So we've taken a lot of the arrows and a lot of the bullets. And so um, a lot of times, a lot of races come up behind us, come up behind of our oppression. And that's okay, mm-hmm. you know, because we understand and we understand what's happening. Um, I mean, it's not okay, but it's okay in the sense that it is, it's just what's happened, right? Um, so one of the things I, I find, I think is interesting is that there is this thought process of Asian stores within black communities. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this conversation, how sometimes in the black community there's this thought process of, uh, you know, uh, the stores come in and they are, they come into the communities and they don't, integrate themselves into the community they just sell things right Mm -hmm. and that in a way it festers an anti-asian hate within some parts of the black community because they feel like oh you're just selling us stuff like hair products or things like that you're not really integrating yourself um and then there was a study of showing uh it was a korean it was very specific towards korean americans immigrants they went in and they, again, bought some properties and they opened a business whatnot. They don't really think anything of it. They just think right. we're just servicing a community and it's a business type of thing. What happened was the study was shown that when they were fully integrated into the, the community, as far as understanding the histor- history of the community and history of black people, right, right, um, they actually started to become more involved within that. Mm. You know, and it just wasn't a business for them opening up shop running the business hours and closing of shopping, going back home. Right. It was, they became fully involved and integrated within that particular community and they end up investing and pouring into the community and it, it, the relations end up easing up. Right. Um, And I thought that was a really great study because I felt like that's what multiculturalism is about. That's what the beauty of multiculturalism, when you open yourself up. Right. And that can, you know, actually decimate any type of anti feeling towards a particular group. Right. You know, but you have to do the work and you have to be willing to integrate. And I, I often feel like that's not what happens a lot within communities around the country. Um, and if so, if there is an anti Asian sentiment and it's not right, period, point blank, it's because communities haven't done a great job, great enough job of, integrating themselves into that community and, you know, get becoming a part of it. That's like me opening up a shop in, I hate, you know, it's colonial, it, colonial, colonial like, mills. Hate, yeah. <laughs> colonial mills area. And, you know, they call it's first of all, when they call, I'm from California. They talk about Chinatown, right? Right. So somebody said, Oh yeah. They go to the Chinese part of the area of town. I, was, I always hated that statement. Right. Right. So I was like, all right. So I drive first time I'm here. It's like, First time I'm literally in Orlando. I'm looking for an entire section of the city. Yeah, it, and it was like two blocks. Yeah, that's it's it's not, you know, it's not that big. And it, the one in the Mills Colonial, um, they've 
we coined it as the milk district. Right. But um, in the Asian community, it's the Vietnamese um, community. Right. Um, but, you know, that's, I, I think it's, for the Asian community, it's just um, to signify there's Asian restaurants and grocery stores. You can pick up the rice. You can right. do what you, you know, grab your Asian ingredients there um, and your recipes and, and whatnot. So um, I get what you're saying, but that you're not yeah. integrating into the community. Assuming, and, like, I bought something. Yes. I bought a, I opened up a restaurant in that area, yeah. and I did not integrate in the community. There would be some anti, within the Asian community, be like, this guy's open up a business there and yeah. he's not even you know and to, i i never i I, ne- I didn't even think about that when you just were you when you're sharing it to me i'm going i ne- i didn't think of it from that perspective mm-hmm. um and that that issue so that's for me I, th- this is kind of new um but i can see where the concern is where if that person doesn't understand a demographic or a community that they're working with mm-hmm. um how can they service or provide Good customer service to the people who are their clientele. Right. And you will constantly keep them at arm's length and hold yourself out as almost an elitist, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're seeing yourself different or better or um, not at the same level as your clientele. Mm-hmm. And that's business 101, right? Right. You don't do that. But I, I see that's why I, I love the conversations that we have because I didn't even think of it that way. But you're right. If you don't integrate yourself into the community, how are you going to be able to reinvest into the community? How are you going to make sure that you're servicing them appropriately except for providing them products that they need? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I, I think about is if in fact somebody integrates within their that community, you'll find you have common appeals. Yes, and so that was what the study said. Right, the study said once this you know gr- um, this group of Korean business owners they opened themselves up and they started getting in. They found out they had a lot of similarities with right. within the black community, like you know how they raised their families yes. and how they you know even the food and just the, it was like different things. Right. And, but they wouldn't have known that. And right. now it's actually shown, it's spread, it study started years ago. It's shown now that Korean Americans, um, the study, it was like early 2000s, but now it's permeated throughout the country mm-hmm. where the Korean Americans now are fully, you know, they are, for, according to different Asian profiles, that Korean Americans have a higher propensity of fully integrating within black community yeah it's it's still not enough right Right. but it's still it's slowly growing it there's a movement and slight change happening right with involving yourselves and i think that actually what you saw on the ucf campus Mm -hmm. yep is a byproduct of that stuff yes you know these kids are now growing up in a different world where the parents are trying have said you got to open yourself up and you got to see the world in a different place and not just culturally from where we've come from but how where you are living. You know what's interesting is now we're having to educate our educate our elders about what's happening. Yeah. Because they're so used to certain perspective mm-hmm. and certain way of um, expectations or misconceptions. We are now finding ourselves educating them about what it's like to speak out 
why it's okay to speak out, why it's okay to help our brothers and sisters, why is it okay to reach across the table just because they're a different skin color or different ethnicity, it's okay. It's not going to, I, I think for so long they've been afraid to speak up, for so long they've been afraid to um, to shake the boat or rock the boat, um, that they've just been so busy focusing on supporting their family, right? Seven days a week, you go to work. You work 12 hours a day. You work hard to provide for the family, but at the same time, they didn't realize that supporting their family by building relationships with the community is also so paramount. And now you're seeing it, and now the next generation is implementing it, and they're being embedded into the community. So it's not even a question of, um, are they? It's They are a part of the community. And that's why you see young people these days where you'll see a group of young people walking down the street who come from different walks of life. And I love that when I see it on Mills and Colonial area, mm-hmm. where it's it's just a beautiful flood of beautiful people. And... Um, that's something that we need to grow in our community. And um, I see it more and more. Uh, but then when you go on the outskirts, <laughs> um, outside of our protective area, you start noticing that maybe it's not as open, but it's growing, it's happening. Um, but it, it, we'll get there. So one of the things I, I wanted to also um, focus in on was the... Again, we talk about integration, right? And um, I'm going to play you guys, if you guys can bear with me, a clip from Tiffany Cross. She was talking about uh, representation um, in Asian representation within TV and just period. So, um, guys, walk with me through here. Ah, yes. This one. Megan McCain. McCain decided to chide Senators Tammy Duckworth and Maisie Hirono, who expressed their frustration over the Biden administration's shortage of senior Asian Americans. They initially said they would no longer support many of President Biden's nominees before backing off after receiving assurances from the Biden administration that it would elevate Asian American voices. In response, McCain, whose talent, as far as I can tell, is finding great black hairstylists and benefiting from nepotism, had this to say. We've only had one Asian American host co-host this show. So does that mean that one of us should be leaving at some point because there's not enough representation? We're talking about is identity politics more important than qualifications of a job? Uh, Yes, one of you should definitely lose your job. I'll give you two guesses, but you'll only need one. So first, not sure if you guys know this or not, because she's really shy about bringing it up, but... Megan happens to be the daughter of the late Republican Senator John McCain, but don't tell anyone because obviously she'd never want to bring that up every five minutes in lieu of having actual intellectual exchange. My father, 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 my father. But yes, let's talk identity politics. Feminist writer Barbara Smith was among the three women who coined the term identity politics, and the original intent of the phrase was articulating black women's struggle at the nexus of race, 
gender, and class oppressions. But just like with hairstyles, Megan, we've watched you take it, twist it, braid it, and lock it so it benefits the warped presentation of your own clumsy and ill-informed thoughts. Now, name me any group that does not bring their identity into the ballot box. When MAGA-donning Trump supporters showed up in droves, how often did we hear the term white economic anxiety? And note how white voters are always given cute little nicknames like Joe the Plumber or Soccer Moms or NASCAR Dads. All of that, Megan, is identity politics. And when it came to every other voting block, we were simply identified by our race. As if these cute little colloquialisms couldn't be applicable to the rising majority of America. Now, let's address this preposterous notion that somehow being a woman of color suggests that you aren't qualified. I actually understand why you may feel this way. Perhaps you assume that a person's ethnic identity may afford them some advantage. It's called projection, when one unconsciously ascribes traits that you don't like about yourself and attribute them to someone else. Like, I don't know, if my only talent was who I was related to, I may assume that everyone else had some similar unfair advantage, you know? But try being an ally instead of an adversary, because just so you know, in 2020, over 11 million Asian American Pacific Islanders were eligible voters, and those who did cast ballots played a huge role in electing President Biden. So the same way spoiled little gun-toting faux Christian narcissists get to make demands of their chosen politicians, so too do those of us who help pave the way for this administration. The latest data we could get our hands on show that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are barely 3% of the broadcast media workforce, yet they are the fastest growing demographic in this country and represent nearly 6% of the population. Everyone deserves to see themselves reflected in this space. And as someone who grew up yearning to see my lived experience reflected back to me, and then had to crawl, claw, and fight at every turn to take up space in broadcast media, I simply ask, how dare you? From now on, I hope you speak less and listen more and take a little time to enjoy this view. We'll be right back. So that was from Tiffany Cross from MSNBC, and I played the entire clip because it was so good, and she was letting off, you know, she let off a whole full loaded clip on uh, Meghan McCain, which is deserved, well-deserved. But uh, it speaks to a lot of things. Number one, um, the importance, number one, of representation. Right. And how it's important for you to see yourself not on television but also in government. And it represents how, you know, you had, we had two legislators, um, women, who challenged about administration that we needed to see more AAPI, um, you know, Asian American Pacific Islanders within the executive branch on the, in the leadership, um, which I think is important, right? Because in the same thing we say for black community, we want to see more, more of us in leadership. You definitely want to see more of, you know, AAPI representation, um, and so I, th I, but for Megan McCain to talk about, you know, wh why are we trying to force the issue of representation? And I think, I think that's really an interesting plight because in the same token, there are people who, who like Megan McCain who are using the Asian Americans as a Trojan horse to facilitate their white supremacy in this Supreme Court, Supreme Court case um, involving Harvard admissions. Um, for those who do not know, it's it's uh, 
Ooh, let me see the name. It's the A. Oh, Students of Fair Housing Administration versus Harvard. Mm-hmm. And um, case originated in like 2017 or whatnot. And it involves a nondescript Asian group, quote unquote, um, that are suing Harvard for not being um, not being admitted into the campus. Um, they're saying that Harvard used their race as a de- determinative to not let them in um, because they already met their quote unquote racial quota, and it's an attack on affirmative action. What we tend to find out, what we is that this group is actually um, the founded person behind this group is a six at the time he was sixty six, now he's like sixty eight year old white man who since the nineteen nineties has used different Trojan horses to get in front of the Supreme Court attacking race and um, trying to tear down in front of action. Again, this is the utilizing of one group, pitting one group against another and creating a resentment. Um, because if you can imagine, if this nondescript group of the students of Fair Housing Administration represented by the, uh, I forget what they call them, the, uh, what the group is actually called, but at any rate, um, represented by this nondescript Asian body of tearing down such an important uh, milestone of racial equality, mm-hmm. then what do you think that's going to call? Again, going back to Asian hate, it's going to create this dynamic of push and pull between Asian Americans and black Americans. Well, l- let me just first say it is important to see representation of Asian American, Asian Pacific Islanders, but it's also important to see representation in a good light too. Right? Yeah. Because it's not just about seeing more mm. Asian Pacific Islander faces. Yeah. It's making sure that they have, they play roles that um, are equate to what you see in the community. You right. see women lawyers, you see um, doctors, you see um, folks who are out there working not necessarily the jobs or roles that you see mm-hmm. on TV um, where it's being sexualized or uh, objectified. Mm-hmm. The other piece that I want to make sure or I highlight... Or the men are not this, you know... Meek. Meek. <laughs> yes. Or not every guy knows karate or knows how... Is a, is a physicist. Exactly. Right? Yes. The old adage is like, oh, you're Asian. You must be, you must be smart. Yeah. Because yeah. trust me, I do not know my math that well. So <laughs> that's why I became a lawyer. If right. anyone wants to know why. No. Right. But... It's it's breaking down those stereotypes, and not just that. The fact that the you know, Senator Dr. Worth is up there. I know her and her colleague are out there saying and demanding that there's representation. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the point where we don't have to do that any longer. I want to get yeah. to the point because you know what what's happening, and I, I'm 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 hearing from dinner table discussions is whether or not that individual is qualified, and I'm going. Yes, that individual is qualified. It just happens that she's Asian American. Right. It just happens that she might be from a different ethnicity, but she has to be, or he has to be, qualified to even get to that level, to that position. So I want to get to the point where we don't have to say it's the first um, of the first, but until then, there needs to be those firsts, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at the question of the divide, right? when you pin one group against another group, the languages that you say or the what's being put out there can be very dis- uh, divisive. Mm-hmm. And certain groups do use that 
to divide and continue making that divide. Mm -hmm. What I think that we have the power to do is to unite and to put that aside and go, listen, we're not going to listen to that BS. Mm -hmm. We're coming together. And I think that's what we're seeing now. And that is the most threatening thing possible, right? Mm -hmm. Coming together, putting our differences aside, embracing each other, being embedded into our community and going, enough is enough. We're going to work together. We're no longer going to fight against each other. And we're not going to let that feed into our anger, our resentment. And we're not going to let that happen to our sisters and our brothers. Because at the end of the day, we can say that we come from different families or we come from different places, but we're still human and we need to help each other out. And I think that's, the, for me, is and what I instill in my children is that just because our skin color is different, our hair texture is different, that shouldn't be the reason why that we can't talk to each other. Yeah. And just because we eat different things or we talk or speak differently or have different dialects or different um, accents shouldn't be the reason why we don't wave to each other or ask how we're doing, how you're doing. That shouldn't be the reason why. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand where you're coming from, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this divide and there's language out there that's constantly pinning us against each other. But what's beautiful about being able to see past that is this. Mm. We're sitting at a table right now, you and me, and we have different um, experience or lived um, experience, but we're able to come together and say, listen, let's embrace it. Let's talk about the differences. These are hard discussions to have. And quite frankly, I haven't had discussions like this openly. And now to all your viewers, <laughs> Look, <laughs> yeah. now I'm on blast. Yeah. And, um, you know, because this is a topic that's close to my heart and that I, we just don't really talk about, but I think it's important to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, that's just my person. I, I know that doesn't answer and that's like the no, but it's professor fine. response. Or no, that's <laughs> fine. And you know what? I, I, I think we should like end that, end it there. Cause I don't want to take step on that. I think that's a really great, <laughs> You did. That was a, that was a great response, and um, you know I am so glad that you came on. Thanks for pod. having me. Yeah, we had to have hard conversations. I want to have you back on. Okay, uh, we're gonna talk about food, right? Because <laughs> this conversation's got me so hungry. I'm uh, thinking about dinner. No. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, um, listen, I think we needed to have a, a conversation, and I know I surprised you with a lot of topics, but that's part of the authenticity of what I wanted to, you know, to bring to this conversation and not right. just something that was very scripted. So you guys hear that. Like we don't just plan out things. Yeah. I was trying to pry it out of him and um, yeah. he wouldn't, he probably, he just said a few things here or there. And then um, I used the kid's card and yeah. <laughs> he came so out. What you want to have the kids for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, the, and that's when he disclosed maybe the conversations that might not be, you know, appropriate. Mm. And that's when I realized where we were going yeah. with the conversation. But Totally not scripted. 
a majority of things I'm going, this is all new to me. Dude. <laughs> and if you were in a room, you could see my facial exp- yeah. expressions going, you know I'm the president of Goaba. <laughs> right, 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 right. Just for a few more weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, nah, this is dope. This is dope. So I appreciate it. Uh, shout out to Anthony for allowing you to jump on this program yeah. and um yeah so everybody if you enjoyed this program please subscribe it share it with your friends and you know again we talk about different sections that we want you to uh, um, cut out and say this is my was my favorite section to be if you find something especially on last point which was fantastic uh you know share that again and with that being said we are going to ride out so